And we stand together out of reverence for God's Word and read it aloud together every week when we're together, and it'll be on the screen here in a moment. I want to talk to you today about why uh, it is that Jesus welcomes the wrong people and why it's so important that the church does the same thing. We need to welcome wrong people, that's what I mean. If, we, if the church stops doing the things that Jesus does, the church stops being the body of Christ and becomes a club. You and I were not invited into a club. This isn't a club. This is a family with a mission, and so we're going to look at this today. Uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. Uh, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi, you're wearing his jeans, sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet, paid for by your jeans, for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. To repentance. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing out of reverence for God's word. This is the Gospel of Luke. We're working our way through the Gospel of Luke all in 2023, and we're wrapping up a series uh, called The People Jesus Welcomes today. But Luke, Luke is one of the gospel writers. Luke has, he has an agenda. And Luke's agenda is that if you go all the way back to the beginning of his gospel, Luke chapter 1, he says, I'm writing this so that you would know with certainty what it is that you have been taught. In, in other words, that you would understand the validity of and the point of Jesus' life. And so Luke here is giving us his agenda in this passage that we just read. Three things. What Luke's it's first part of his agenda is, what is it that God is up to in human history? The second part of his agenda is he's trying to help you and I change how we see people and the third part of his agenda is he wants you to know what it is that God wants from you and for you. So let's look at each of those three things. What's God up to in human history? Wouldn't it be nice to know what God is actually trying to accomplish with the thing that we call history? You know, like, do you ever pause and you look around the world and you see all the things happening and you go, what is happening? Like exactly what is it that's going on? What, and if you could go to God and you could say, God, I'm just trying to make sense. I'm just a human being. I'm, maybe it's just my small mind, but I just don't understand why all these things are happening. I, is there a point to all of this? Is this, is this headed somewhere? Because there's, you and I both know there's so much that happens in the world that raises so many questions, and we're just left to wonder, what, what is happening I mean, just wait a little bit. It was in the news last week. It'll be in the news probably sometime this week, and it'll be in the news again next week, and you'll hear about disasters, and you'll hear about tornadoes, and you'll hear about drought, and it's even codified in the, in the way we talk about it in insurance, you know, an, an act of God. Is it an act of God when a tornado happens? Is that, are you doing something? Are you trying to level, you know, it came through my town, um, leveled the Y. God, are you trying to tell us that you don't want the YMCA in Andover? Is that what you're trying to tell us? You love my house. I guess you want my house. Is that, is that what's happening? You hear about wars, and um, you know, the latest one is Ukraine. There'll be, that's not the last war that will ever happen. There'll be more wars. And what, what's going on with all of that? Why, is, why, do, why do people 
why can't they resolve their differences? Is God trying to wipe out people? Is that, is that what's happening? And then there are all these culture shifts happening. Like the biggest one that's facing us right now is uh, there's transgender ideology and it's rising. And, and frankly, it's people that are in deep, deep pain that are trying to be heard and no one can quite figure out what to do about it. So where, where's God at work in all of this? What is it that God is up to? And so some people, will, when they look at, at human history and all the things that happen, they'll say, well, this is, well, I, I know, I'll tell you. I'll tell you, you don't, need to, you, don't need to, you don't need to wring your hands. You don't need to try and wear yourself out trying to make sense of this. It's just no point to it. It's just pointless. And, and honestly, if you're going to go that route and, and you're going to be honest about it, of that route, and some people have, you just the result of that is that you just have to accept despair and figure out how to live with despair. Or some people will say, well, history, it's it's just on repeat, you know? It's it's cyclical and it's like ground remember the movie Groundhog Day? I'm not recommending it, but it, you know it's like the, you wake up and it's the same day and it just repeats again. And and sometimes it seems like human history is on repeat. I don't I I frankly don't blame God for that. I blame us for that because Humans repeat our, our, ourselves. Uh, the problem, the history is on repeat because we humans, we just can't figure it out and we just repeat ourselves. We don't learn lessons. So what is it that God is up to in human history and then how can we know? But Luke's got an agenda and Luke's trying to say, listen, I, I'm going to tell you what, what God is up to in human history and the answer to what God is up to is human history is God is up to Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is actually the answer to that Question, I, I just let me just do an imaginative exercise with you. You know, you've, I, I kind of enjoy press conferences from the White House. It doesn't matter the administration. It's just a bit of theater. Um, and it's just kind of fascinating. You know, all the cameras and the questions and the people raising their hands and the, the person up there trying to spin whatever it is they're trying to spin from their, their administration. But can you, can you for a second use that imagery and go, okay, what if there was a press conference in heaven and the Holy Spirit is the press secretary, and the press is out there, and they're trying to figure, answer this question, what is it that God is up to in human history? And you know, they're all raising their hands, and the Holy Spirit points at someone, and they say, what is it that God's up to? And then the Holy Spirit just says, Jesus. <laughs> That's what God's up to. Uh, the Holy Spirit's up to Jesus. Now, I, I hope you're not surprised by that. This is a Christian church. You know, we're, I'm a Christian pastor. Uh, that, hopefully that's not very surprising to you. But when you look at Jesus, what Jesus does is Jesus brings something fresh onto the scene of human history. Jesus brings one of the best words that I know, and the word is redemption. He introduces it into the human story. like this, the, the story that you're in, the, the difficulties you're going through can be redeemed. Something different can happen. I mean, there are other answers, right? If you were a Buddhist, you would say, well, you know, here's what your problem is, is that you need to erase your desire. Your desire to see something good come out of it is the source of your suffering. And so if you could erase desire, that's what you need. Or if you were, if you were a Muslim, you would say, okay, well, I don't know if there's redemption, but you just are supposed to do the will of Allah and you, you do the will of God and shut up. Just get on with your life. If you were a humanist and you'd say, well, I, you know, I'm picking the path of pointlessness and there's no, not a God, and, and, and you would go, well, I'm not even sure if there's a thing like redemption. I'm not sure anything can be fixed. Is redemption even possible? But, but that the Holy Spirit in that press conference, you know, he says Jesus, and then, you know, he gets a, a note in his earpiece and he's like, ah, you know what, Jesus would like to have a word. And so Jesus comes out on the press conference and, and Jesus says to humanity, to you and to me, and he says, redemption, I'll tell you what you need. You need redemption and you need rescue. 
Well, what is, what is redemption? Well, here, we love a good redemption story. I mean, all great movies are, in one way, a, a redemption story. Um, and it's, it's a, the worse the story and the worse the condition of the person, the more powerful the redemption when something good happens. Are you following me? It's in any movie, right? They paint the picture and the person is terrible and they're going through deep suffering and, and everything has gone wrong and you don't see any way it could change. And then it changes. Here's what redemption means for the people who are the wrong people. Redemption means that the wrong people still get to play in life. And it's what God is doing in human history is he's redeeming people in situations that you and I have messed up. I love how the writer Dallas Willard says it. He says it's, it's the divine conspiracy that God has to overcome human evil and suffering with God's good. It's beautiful. This is how Jesus says it in this interchange here in Luke chapter 5. Um, he's talking to the religious leaders. We'll talk about them in a second. He says, Jesus says it like this. He's talking about redemption. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, the context of this, if you haven't been with us in this series, um, is the, the, the Gospel of Luke, and then specifically um, Luke chapter 4, and then Luke chapter 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9, um, Jesus is fleshing out his ministry. Now, if you've been here all, um, all for the series, and you've seen this picture behind me, you may have wondered, why do you have a picture of a lake with a boat? I don't get it. Well, that's actually a, a boat on the Sea of Galilee, which is the, the Sea of Galilee is not, it sounds big because we say sea, but it's really just a big lake. And, and you can see all the way around the lake. And, and Jesus uh, performed his ministry around the Sea of Galilee. And, and if you were with us on the first week, we talked about Jesus had this mission statement that he um, adopted from the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. We'll put it on the screen for you. I'm going to just make sure you, you know where Jesus is coming from. And Jesus opens the scroll um, in the synagogue one, one Sabbath day. And, and he says, he, he reads to what the prophet Isaiah says. It's on the screen. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. That's a category. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, another category of human suffering, and recovery of sight for the blind. That's another category of human suffering. And to, treat, to set the oppressed free, that's another category of human suffering. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And, and so we, we looked at different people that Jesus, he said, I came to do that. And then he went and did that to those groups of people or for them and prisoners. We talked about the demonic in week three. And then we talked about, Dave Curry talked about sick people. And then last week we talked about oppressed people and people who are beaten down by life and left out. And today we're talking about the people who are what Luke calls poor, not, not economically, but in a spiritual sense. They're, they're on the outside. And, and what Luke's trying to show us is that Jesus did something different. Jesus saw people as people. There's this word that's going around now and uh, when someone really feels like, you know, like they've been validated and what they do counts, they say, I felt so seen. <laughs> do you know that? Do you know that phrase? Jesus saw people, and you, you really, you can't redeem anybody unless you can see them, and you can't change a condition unless you can see the condition. Redemption requires vision. And so this is Luke's other agenda, is Luke's trying to change how you and I see people. And now this, this passage here, and uh, the passage right before it, um, are, are the first of, of many, I, I'm going to call them 
um, scuffles between Jesus and this category of religious person um, known as the Pharisees. Um, in fact, this whole, uh, this whole scene right here in Luke chapter 5 that we're looking at today is, is, a, is a, a comparison and contrast. That's what the passage is. Remember those English essays? We had to compare and contrast things. Trigger warning for some of you. You're like, oh, uh, like the, the whole scene is that. We're going to talk about the comparisons and contrasts here. The, the Pharisees, they were, they were a sect of, of, of Judaism. They were trained theologians. They argued for purity and tradition, and they, they kind of serve as the, the nemesis of Jesus in his ministry. And, and I'm, I, this is not an, a totally unfair dichotomy to paint, but the way they operated is they, they, and Jesus operated both, were based on how they saw things. I'll give you an example. So what Jesus did is Jesus saw people and how they had been violated by life. And the Pharisees saw tradition and respectability and religion as they understood it and its violation. Do you see the difference there? Now, I don't know if you've thought about this or if you've been around the Bible a lot, if you have, maybe you've considered this, but I think it's kind of interesting that the Pharisees and Jesus read the same Bible. Did you know this? They both talked about the Word of God. They were both talking about the same thing, what you and I know as the Old Testament. So here's what, here's what that did for me when I realized that. I went, wait a second, they read the same Bible. That means there's a way that I could read the scriptures today that causes me to see rules and tradition and expectation and respectability and miss people completely. And I'd end up like a Pharisee. Or I could choose to read scripture like Jesus does in a way that causes me to see God's interest in people. You just can't read it both ways. I'll give you the kind of key example that Luke highlights, and and this is not a slip of Luke's pen. He's very detailed. He's very careful. He's a very careful writer. Uh, But in verse 29 and in verse 30 of this passage, he's referencing how Jesus is seeing things. He says, you know, Jesus, around Jesus was a large crowd of tax collectors. We'll talk about that person in a second. And others, Luke says. Then one verse later, the Pharisees, they see the same situation that Jesus is in. Again, it's how they see. And the Pharisees, they, they see this group of people that Luke has described as tax collectors and others. And, and they say, the disciples of Jesus, why is it that you and Jesus, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Do, do, you, see how they've changed the, do you see how they've changed the definition there? Now, before you judge the Pharisees and you get all judgy on them, um, I, I just want you to understand they were actually trying to be honest. They were trying to live up to what they felt like they were supposed to. They, they wanted to be true to God's word. Uh, one of the ancient commentaries, Jewish commentaries on the book of Exodus said this. It said, let not a man ever associate with a wicked person, not even for the purpose of bringing him near to the Torah, the Old Testament. Uh, one of the other ancient commentaries known as the Mishnah is a Jewish commentary on the, all the Old Testament said this. Keep far from an evil neighbor and consort not with the wicked and lose not belief in retribution. (laughs) Right? I mean, they were just trying. They're like, well, that's what we're supposed to do. So I want to give you a series of of comparison and contrast between Jesus and the Pharisees. So here's what the Pharisees do. The Pharisees turn others into sinners to be avoided. Jesus sees sinners as others who need to be healed. 
Martin Buber, a Jewish theologian, he said there's, there's basically two ways of relating people. And, and the first one, he said there's, the way you can relate to people is what he called the I-it. He's German, and you have to know German to know how he's meaning this, but it translates into English into this. You, you, it's an I-it relationship, meaning that you can say, you know, I'm an I. I I'm, a, I'm an individual. I'm a person. I'm, I'm, maybe if you're a Christian or spiritual, you go, I'm made in God's image, and, and you know, I count, and my, my feelings count, and my, my experiences count. But then when you encounter another person, you don't give them the same courtesy, and you say, ah, you're not like me, and so because you're not like me, you turn them, what he said, you turn them into an it. You turn a person into an it. So there's I, it. He said, but the other way of relating to people is what he called the I vow. I, I, I don't, I mean, that's kind of Shakespearean English, but you know, when we talk about a vow, there's this sense of reverence, vow, you know. There's this reverence to it. He said, you, you see, not only are you a person made in God's image, not only does your experiences count, not only does, do your feelings matter, but so does the person in front of you. It's an I-thou kind of relating. The Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who's one, one of my heroes, he passed away a number of years ago, but he was a, a Catholic uh, archbishop in South Africa during apartheid, and he fought with Nelson Mandela against apartheid. And I, I listened to an address he gave one time, and, and just talking about the difficulties of living in a culture like that, and, and he's, he was trying to impress, he wasn't saying what Martin Buber said, but he was trying to say basically the same thing. And he said, because in, if you know this, in the Roman Catholic Church, there's this practice of genuflecting where you make the sign of the cross. And it's a way of saying there's something sacred. And, and, um, and he said, he was trying to tap into something. He said, listen, he said, I, we, we could not look at the people who were oppressing us or the people who were different than us, who were struggling beside us and put them in a different category. He said, it, 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 when we understood who they were and who they were made in God's image, he said, and if you could understand that every person who comes in front of you, if you really understood their worth and their value, he said, every time you did that, you, you stood in front of a person, you would genuflect if you really knew who they were. We're trying as a church, we're trying to reach 1% of Wichita, and we've, um, I've been using this little phrase that's helped me, and, and the way we're going to do that is by loving the one in front of me. That's what I mean. It's like th- that person is a thou. It's just two ways of relating to people. And then, then Brendan Manning, he says that there are two ways of walking into a room. He said, one way you can walk into the room is you walk into the room and you go, here I am. <laughs> and he said, another way of walking into the room is you walk into the room and you look around and you go, oh, there you are. The Pharisees, what they did is they walked into the rooms that they walked into and they combined the worst of both. And when they walked into a room, they saw a violator of God's law and it. And then they said, and here God's law is, why are you breaking it? Stop. So for the Pharisees, there were people to avoid. For Jesus, there were people to heal. The Pharisees said, Jesus, these are the wrong people. And Jesus said, no, these are the people that God, these are the people that God loves. I, now, you've got to understand, Jesus never once disagrees with the Pharisees that the tax collectors are a mess. Uh, the tax collectors, if you don't know the whole thing, I, I know we're not talking about an IRS agent. I, I know no one likes IRS agents. I, I mean, if, if you're an IRS agent, we love you. You're welcome here. We just don't like you. Um, <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not talking about, I'm not, 
we don't like, we like you, we don't like what you represent. Okay. I'm not, it, it, was, it was that, but it was, what happened is you would, you would make a bid to the Roman emperor and you would say, I can collect the taxes and, and they would take the low bid and then they would not regulate. And so you could charge your countrymen who were already being oppressed by this oppressive superpower, whatever you wanted with impunity. So not only did you basically rip people off, but you were a traitor. And, uh, I mean, these were not people that anybody liked. They were dishonest. They abused their authority. They cheated their own people. I mean, if there had been hashtags, that would have been hashtag oppress, oppressor. You know, that, that would be who the, the tax collectors were. Jesus never says that's, no, no, that's not, that's not true. He's not like, Jesus never says that. Jesus is not, but Jesus is not debating right or wrong here. Jesus is, is saying the, man, the man's wrong. But here's what the Pharisees did. They said, well, because he's wrong, then we have to exclude him. And Jesus said, no, you don't understand God's law. You don't understand God's heart. If someone is wrong, that means they're sick and they need healing. And that person's wrongness is not a reason to exclude them. The Pharisees, they had a a message of conformity and Jesus had a message of redemption. The Pharisees what they did is they managed orthodoxies, and what Jesus did was he made outsiders welcome. A couple weeks ago, Dave Curry spoke, and he talked to this passage just a, a few verses before about this man who was healed, and when Jesus heals this man, the Pharisees say, in their, they say, who, who is this man who thinks that he can forgive sin? So I I want you to see what's really going on. The Pharisees are more incensed that Jesus violated God's character and, in their view, God's law than that someone made in the image of God was restored. And then in this scene right here where Jesus has a meal with this person who's a traitor and a cheat, they're more concerned that Jesus is somehow defiling God than that someone sick is made well. Do you see that? They're managing orthodoxies. Jesus is making outsiders welcome. The Pharisees define who's acceptable. Jesus opens the table. Now, I've got to give you a sense, and I, I, I need you to hear me here. I need you to give me a little bit of grace as I say this, but I need to give you a sense of, of, how, of how difficult this was for the people who had common cause with the Pharisees uh, because they were afraid when you ate with someone, what you were saying about that person was, I accept you. And they're like, Jesus, you can't eat with certain people because certain people, if, you, if, you, if you're around them, you will condone their behavior. And again, I need you to give me a, a bit of grace here, but I'm just trying to paint a picture. I, I, sometimes we'll get this routine um, query from families, and they'll say, you know, I, we're, we're related to somebody, and, and they're, they're gay, and um, they're getting married. And um, we're just not really sure what, what it is we're supposed to do. We're, we, we, we love that person, but we don't want to go to the, the wedding because we don't want to send the wrong message that we condone what they're doing because we don't agree with their lifestyle. And I'm not, I'm not saying this to shame anybody. I, I'm just saying my kids do things all the time that I don't agree with. Any other parents? Since when was agreeing with someone the condition for loving them? See, they were defining who was acceptable, and Jesus was opening the table. The Pharisees were concerned with protecting God from wrong people. 
And Jesus was concerned about welcoming people into God's family. Jesus wanted to turn the wrong person onto the right direction. I love uh, the insights of different disciplines, and one of the disciplines that I love the insights of often, and not always, not everything, is the discipline of sociology. Sociology, what it does is it studies how people operate in groups and, and just kind of makes some observations. And I, I gave you an example of this the first week of the, the series, and I want to just revisit this. But the first one, uh, the sociologists, they, they say that what we do as human beings is we group ourselves in, into groups, and then we, we set boundaries to the group. And I've got a picture here of this, right? And then we say that whoever is inside the boundaries that we've created, they are, they're fine, right? They're, oh, yeah, yeah, that person's right. And anybody outside of the boundaries, the way we understand them and define them, they're on the outside. And so it, it makes it very clear for people because there's insiders and there's outsiders, and you're either in or you're out. And, and if, if some of the spots are missing, it's because, well, you didn't quite fit in, and so we kicked you out or you left, but, but what I suggested to you that first week, and, and what, it's what sociologists call it, the bounded set, they call it a centered set. And it, it's not but what the boundaries are, it's about what's at the center, and are you moving closer to it or further away from it? And what Jesus is trying to communicate, see, the, the, the Pharisees are operating with a bounded set mentality. Like, we know who is in and who is out, because God's law obviously tells us, and Jesus is like, you don't even understand God's heart. God's heart is more like this. Are, are you... Are you, you could be really close to who God is, right? But you could be pointing your life away and, and have all the right words and all the right thoughts and all the right theology and all the right everything. Or you could be the person that's way over there in the corner. It's like, I just need something different in my life. Where do I go? And when you point your arrow toward God, God moves. <laughs> So here's what you got to understand. Jesus even gives this warning about it. And he says, listen, in, in, in the, the gospel of Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, Jesus says, be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, I don't know if you picked this up or not, but Levi in Luke chapter 5 is Matthew in Matthew chapter 6. That's the same guy. It's interesting that Matthew mentions this because this story in Luke chapter 5 is his origin story. Levi is Matthew. And, and, and his story started with Jesus standing up to the religious authorities who said he wasn't welcome. And he says, those are the people who would have kept me out of the kingdom of God because I didn't fit their box. But Jesus welcomed me in. And, and what, is, what is yeast? Well, if you, if you bake, you know that what yeast does is just this little thing, and it gets inside, and it grows, and it takes over. And Jesus is saying, listen, there's a, there's a way of thinking about God and about the Scriptures and about who we are intended to be that can get inside of you, and your concerns and fears and tolerances can get cloaked in a God kind of a language. And Jesus says, no, be, be careful. Be very, very careful. Don't let that get inside of you. Because it will grow and it will take over. Instead, Jesus is trying to teach us that God's concerns are the people that have you concerned. Come on. Now, you've got to make no mistake that this tension between the Pharisees and Jesus, it doesn't diminish, it grows. In fact, it grows so much that they will kill Jesus over it. They are so convinced that they are right. They are so convinced that they are holding on to their understanding of holiness. They are so convinced that Jesus is wrong, and they are so convinced that Jesus is dangerous that they'll kill him over it. That's why it's Palm Sunday, right? Jesus walks in, and everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And in just a few days, they're going to lay Jesus on a cross. And they have a mindset that is anti-Christ. 
That's what they have. So what is it then that God wants from you and for you? We're going to take communion. Um, Sean's going to come. He's going to play. We're going to take communion together in just a second. It's, it's in the last verse there. Jesus, when he says it, he says, I, I, I haven't come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. This is, this is what God wants from you and it's what God wants for you is God wants repentance. Now let me let me pause. Let me make sure. I, I don't know what baggage you have associated with that word. It's, I'm, I, I don't, I'll try not to give you a bunch of Greek stuff, but the New Testament was written in Greek, and, and that word is, is important that you know because it's so powerful. It's the word metanoia. Would you say that with me? Metanoia. It's two words put together. Metanoia. Noia is where we get the, the root of the word knowledge. Meta can mean with or above or beyond. It, 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 so in other words, Jesus is, is, what I want from you is that you would use your mind, that you would think, that you would rethink your life. Now some, when they hear the word repentance, they go, wait a second. And I, uh, maybe a year or so ago we talked about this and some people came to me afterwards and they're like, wait a second, wait a second. Well, that's not what we've heard repentance is. We, we thought repentance means that you turn your life around and that's not what the, actually the word repentant means. Stay with me. What Jesus is saying is that God places a premium on how you think, on your thought patterns. It's all the way through the scriptures. Uh, all the book of Proverbs says a man thinks within his heart so is he. The Apostle Paul says that we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. He says we have the mind of Christ. Paul says that you can be transformed. The way you're transformed is by the renewing of your mind. Jesus says that we're to love God with our mind. Here's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, I'm calling people to rethink everything about their life in light of the fact that I am here now. And I, I promise that if you rethink your life in light of God's offer of love and grace, you will turn your life around. That's the result of repentance, and you'll begin to see your life in a different way. But, but I want you to hear what Martin Luther had said 500 years ago when he started what we know as the Protestant Reformation. He nailed these 95 th uh, thoughts to a door on a cathedral in Wittenberg, Germany, and at the top of it he said, since our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ said we are to repent, this means that he wills the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. What does that mean practically? That means that you are willing to change your mind. You know what we call somebody who is willing to change their mind? Humble. Do you know what we call someone who either won't change their mind or can't? Do you know what we call them? Proud. So who needs to repent? Now Jesus is saying, obviously, the people who are away from God, whose life is oriented in a different direction, and they would say, I, I am a sinner. I, like, I'm, I'm, I'm away from God. Yes, for them. They, they absolutely need to repent. But if you, read, if you read between the lines what Jesus is trying to say, he's trying to say Pharisees, um, religious people, people who've been at this for a long time, if you understood yourselves, you'd realize that you are in the category along with all of humanity, so I'm talking to you too. So I want you to know, if you are among the wrong people, you don't fit in the box. I just want you to know, I want you to hear, as the pastor of this local church of the Nazarene that started to reach the people who were outside the box a hundred and some odd years ago, that you are welcome here. That we, we want you here. This is God's house. You are welcome in it. You're always welcome here. Sometimes some of us forget it. Sometimes I've forgotten it. But every time we forget it, we want to repent. We want to be the humble people who will change our mind and go, oh, wait, we forgot. 
And so our commitment is to, to you is to welcome you and to offer you the way of Jesus. And we, we really, really believe it's a better, more peaceable way and that you'll find yourself and you'll find a center and you'll find a direction and you'll find yourself and you'll find God. And we want that for you. And if you're a believer, um, I, I want, here's your repentance. I got, I got just a specific thing. You, if, if God's poking at you on something else, you deal with that. But I got one act of repentance for you to do this week. One very simple act. One, one rethinking of how you go through the world. And it's this, okay? I want you this week to watch your language. Now, do I mean what you think I mean? No, I don't mean what you think I mean. <laughs> maybe, that, maybe you do. I don't know. I, I want you to watch your language in the way that Luke is trying to teach us to watch our language. Remember the, 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 the Pharisees, what they did is they took people and they made them an it and they made them the other. They turned the other into a sinner. And I want you to, I, want you to, I, I was at a thing, my son is trying to get into this kind of motorsport thing and we were at this thing all day yesterday and, and I, uh, I was around some people and I just... I've been around people a lot as a pastor, and, and uh, you can kind of pick up a sense from people, like, ooh, this guy's, he's struggling. <laughs> uh, ooh, that, oh, she's, uh. And I found that creeping up in me, and I found judgment creeping up in me and being like, well, that's, what's wrong with that person? And I realized I needed to watch my language. I was, in, I was at risk of labeling that person into the kind of person that I, maybe they should stay over there. It's just, that's too much work. Ah, it's exhausting. Oh, come on. Get it together. I just, I, for seven, would you do it? Would, for seven days, would you say, I'm, I'm going to watch my language. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go, okay, God, you, it's okay if you help me with the thoughts and attitudes of my heart toward other people and how I might label them. I I'm not trying to tell you to do it perfectly this week. I'm just saying, would you notice it? Would you open yourself to the fact that maybe there's some work to do for you? I'm doing the same. Could you rethink some things? Because if it's Jesus's mission, it's ours too. We don't stop doing this till we get to the end. We don't. This, is, this continues. 